Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. Today, we are just four days away from the winter solstice, which is the shortest day of the year for those living in the Northern Hemisphere. And it's a time where there's more darkness than light, and a time when many struggle because of the lack of light. But what if there's something for us, not only in the light, but also in the darkness? What is it that we could glean from these short, cold days of winter? This is what we're going to explore today with our guest, Annie Misaros. Annie is the host of God Help Us podcast, where she explores our country's long and intimate relationship with Christianity, and in doing so, seeks to understand where religious conservatives are coming from, so all of us can be better conversation partners across difference and contribute to sustainable, collaborative social change. Annie has her Master's of Divinity from the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, and she hails from Seattle. Annie, welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, well, first off, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. What should our listeners know about you? Yeah, you kind of hit a lot of the high points already. I'm a political theologian, um, have my MDiv from the Seattle School. Um, I host a podcast on religion and politics, which usually when I tell people, they're like, oh, those are like the two things you're not supposed to talk about. It's like, well... (laughs) That's the kind of thing that I really enjoy. And I think spiritual darkness is also one of those categories that's often like very avoided. Um, But it's something that I have lived with for a long time, off and on, seasonally, um, and did my MDiv thesis on the topic of spiritual darkness. So it's something I'm really excited to talk about. Um, And I guess I should define being a political theologian. Um, I'm kind of concerned with three primary questions, which are, who do we believe God is? What do we believe it means to be human? And how do those two things um, together influence our relationships with each other? Wow. So that's the kind of work that I do. And, and you said you tell people that and they get a little, they get a little standoffish, the politics and religion I, question. I think people are intrigued about that. I do find that um, it's more challenging to talk about spiritual darkness. That tends to be something that makes people pretty uncomfortable. Um which I also am just excited about. Like I like being having some controversial ideas, having controversial <laughs> topics. I don't know if I'm that controversial. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it it's an incredibly important thing um, to talk about, especially this time of year. In in the work that I do, one of the things I encounter all the time is that while the holidays for so many hold this like very special, sacred, almost like Norman Rockwell quality. Mm-hmm. For others, it's an incredibly difficult time. And um, you and I met earlier this year. Actually, you had me as a guest on your podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking, I think it was either before or after the interview. And you mentioned the idea of darkness and mm-hmm. your interest in it. And you're wanting to share what you've uh, learned about it with others. You're writing about it. So first off, my question is, what brought you to a place where you were interested in the subject of spiritual darkness? Yeah, well, I mean, what brought me to it was just my own experience initially. When I was 21, I was, um, I want to say I was a junior in college. And I had an experience that I later found out is what John of the Cross, St. John of the Cross from the 1500s in Spain, uh, talks about as the dark night of the soul. And so a lot of my work uh, uses kind of his concepts of Uh, the experience of the absence of God as its basis. And then I've kind of uh, read and researched and worked with other uh, 
more contemporary feminist theologians to understand a feminine dark night, um, which is kind of a different a different take on it, which we'll we'll get into. Um, but it really comes out of my own experience. And for about, um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like night or day, like there was kind of a twilight to it of kind of easing into a period of darkness and then easing out of it. So it doesn't have like a specific start or end date. Um, but it was in 2008. So last year was my uh, 10th anniversary of my introduction to darkness, which I <laughs> was very aware of and um, attuned to while I was writing about this uh, in my master's program. But um yeah, I had around six to eight months of just um, feeling deeply aware that God was gone. Mm. Um, and that, you know, I, I always talk about it as kind of a watershed moment in my life. There is a before and there's an after. Um, and nothing has really been the same since for me, especially being um, prior to that being a deeply religious person. And since then continuing to be a, a deeply spiritual person. Um, and can I ask, what, what would you define as the difference between religious and spiritual? Um, probably the institutional organization of it. Mm. So I was very, um, I would say, you know, like my personality hasn't changed, uh, but my orientation in the world has changed as a result of this experience. And um, I've had two other seasons of, of um, kind of deep darkness spiritually since then. Um, and they've each kind of had their own flavor and I would say kind of their own purpose and feel. But this first one in particular, um, I would say is probably the most significant. And um, in terms of being deeply religious, I was um, very involved in my church. I was very rule oriented in terms of like personality, I would say like, I'm still a perfectionist. I'm still very stubborn. Um, I'm still very concerned with like how we ought to do things. But prior to this time when I was, um, what I was concerned about was kind of upholding religious structures. Mm. Um, this is what we're doing at church. This is what the church has said to do. And so I'm concerned with like the people around me and in my community kind of holding up that standard, but that's been kind of handed to me from this institution. And I'm still that way. I'm very concerned with like what we ought to do and how I think we should be doing things and sometimes insisting that other people do them my way. <laughs> I'm trying to get a little softer about that. Um, but my orientation is different. So I'm not, um, I no longer desire to uphold power structures, which is what I was doing before. And um, I've shifted to be more about like being about people. Um, mm. How do we take care of each other? How ought we be taking care of each other? And I find um, that the church has held very few um, kind of options and opportunities for me in that space. Mm. Yeah. Does that answer your question at all? Yeah, no, that's really yeah. helpful. Yeah. Uh, but still very much believe in God as a result of this experience. So um, as St. John of the Cross talks about it, um, really it's about separating the separating us from the things and the ideas that we're attached to about God. Um, so James Finley is someone who um, has studied and speaks about St. John of the Cross and his work. And so 
Finley is the one that said this. He may have been quoting someone else, but basically that like a bird held by a single strand is still captive. And so it's the severing of all of those strands, um, cutting clear through the rope that binds us to whatever it is that we're bound to um, so that we can like truly be free of um, of ideas that are not serving us, um, that maybe are based in religion or in the Bible or in even the traditions and history of the church um, and yet are not good for us. Mm. And what that season did for me um, was, yeah, it really was a work of detachment, of detaching me from um, thinking that the Bible could save me, thinking that um, if I just prayed enough or believed enough that I would be okay. Um, I had been taught from birth that God would never leave me. And in some senses, I still think that's true. I think that God is there in the darkness, but it's a totally unrecognizable version of God. And so I've had the experience of being without God. And that like really shook me. I would say like it broke me Hmm. um, because that was the one thing that was never supposed to happen. And it was, and that's kind of how I define darkness now. It's when we have an experience in life that we don't have categories for. And so new categories are forced to emerge. And maybe what we find out is that like now, like the next time it happens, we're like, oh, this is, this is the category that is uncategorized. You know, like (laughs) we start to know, um, yeah, we can, we can never be prepared for everything. Um, and what emerged for me is being deeply grounded in who God made me to be and what God made me for. Um, but it was an extremely painful process to get there. And so it's something that I've been curious about since then. And I didn't understand all of that right away. It has taken years to continue to unpack that and reflect and um, kind of see what's come out of it. And that, like I mentioned, two other seasons of um, kind of a different different types of spiritual darkness. Um, but a friend of mine, a couple of years ago, we were having coffee and she wasn't even asking me particularly about this. She was asking me about my experience with depression, which is a separate thing, separate but related. Um, and I just was like, oh, it would never occurred to me that anyone would want to know about my experience with this um, or that it could at all be useful to other people. Mm. Um, but I started to get that sense. And the more I talked about it with people, the more um, it seemed like, you know, it doesn't resonate with everyone. Um, and some people are very forcefully against engaging the conversation of darkness, uh, which is fine. But if it's useful to people, I'm always happy to talk about it. And then that led to my thesis work um, in seminary. So I got wow. to kind of like have a year to really dive into it and explore, um, which is, you know, benefits me and hopefully benefits other people too. Yeah. I'd be curious, you you used a very specific term. It was an experience of the absence of God, which almost sounds like a um, a, a mature, introspective sort of atheism, for lack of a better word. And when I heard you say it, the first thing that popped in my mind is Jesus's words on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That yeah. this is not for him an intellectual moment of, well, if this is happening, I probably can't believe in God. But as mm-hmm. 
this uh, God human um, actually experiences this absence in this moment. And I'm wondering <laughs> how is that different, this experience, how is that different than an intellectual, I've read about it, I figured it out, there absolutely is no divine being anywhere out there. How would you maybe differentiate between those two things? Yeah, I mean, I think maybe you already covered it in your <laughs> question, right? Of like, I mean, we all know that it's different to read about something than it is to experience something. Like, you can read about love and then you can also feel loved. Um, and those, like, evoke a different bodily sense or a different mental framework. But um, I would say it's like a, a knowing in my body. Like I feel, um, yeah, it's just, it's the opposite of an intellectual exercise. I don't know yeah. how it's, it's a sense. very embodied experience. Like the things that mean the most in this world are things you can't prove that kind of idea. Like you use the example of love that you can read about love. You can even write mm -hmm. poems about love, but until you've experienced it, you don't know it. Would mm -hmm. that be a fair way of saying it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think we kind of we can approach it through metaphor. There's lots of ways that I've tried to explain what it feels like. Um, and yeah, there's. Um, yeah, I just don't have a good way of capturing it. But one thing that I was um, in terms of like, it's the thing that like you don't have categories for. And so it's like yeah. utterly like you're just so unprepared. Um it's like I was thinking about it over the weekend in preparation for talking today and it's like um like you're following a map and you you're like okay great like the hotel like whatever your destination is the hotel my friend's house my whatever is like just around the corner from here and you look up and you're not even in the right city like the map you've been following has led you like so far astray mm. um but it's like the resulting like panic and fear and anxiety um is like the key element right like it's very painful yeah. um to be left when when you weren't supposed to be by like the one being who was never supposed to leave you yeah um and you you mentioned yeah. You said that you, you came to a place, you talked about categories, but you also said there were some ideas that, um, and I don't know if you use this phrase, but the idea, some ideas that were no longer working. Mm -hmm. What were some of those things like you, you're almost essentially describing some sort of death, some sort for of sure. loss. Yeah. So what were some of those things that you, uh, in 2008, began for you falling away, not working, things that you had to confront maybe in your own life, maybe in the world that you had been living in up to that point? Yeah, I mean, I think what I needed to lose was the belief that I could, maybe this gets at what you're saying too, that I could like think or believe my way either into salvation, into God's grace, into uh, like a good Christian life. I had a very firm belief at the time that there was one one way to be a Christian, Mm. Um, that your life, if you became a Christian, 
and you were a good Christian, your life would look a particular way, Um, which is like uh, maybe unsurprisingly, like a pretty like a white middle class suburban way, (laughs) like kind of the culture that I was part of, Um, like and very heteronormative, right? Like it's all like very um, my faith lacked an imagination for what life could really be Mm. and kind of the richness that I think is inherent in God and inherent in the gospel, um, hadn't really hit home with me. And so, um, what I, I think like the idea of a quiet time is probably familiar to you from you and I had similar upbringings. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I love listening to your podcast because I'm like, he gets me. No, I mean, it's like the thing, like I thought that my quiet time would save me, right? So then, but I was always terrible at doing it. Oh, yes. Like, I don't know who your audience is, but I always like to define stuff like that on my podcast. But um, so the idea of like that you would spend usually daily time reading the Bible, praying and journaling. Mm-hmm. And that was the first thing that people would say to me when I was like, I'm like, I'm really struggling really, really struggling. I also didn't have any language for what I was experiencing. And so a lot of people, I didn't know how to ask for help. And no one like really met me there. Um, And so I have felt like I've had to kind of like blaze my own trail in this. And then the more I've studied it, the more it's like, oh, people have been having this experience like from the beginning of the time. Um. And I can also, I think Hagar in the Bible is a great example of this. So I, we can talk mm. about her too at some point. But um, yeah, it's something that no one had prepared me for. And they clearly weren't prepared for, like the people around me also weren't prepared for this. But the ex- thing that I was told all the time was like, well, you're having your quiet times. And I just have to say like, that can't save you. And it couldn't save me. Um you know, it shifted how I understand the Bible to function in faith and in the world. Um, it shifted how I understand church or pastoral leadership or like really everything. Like none of it really mattered anymore because none of it was there for me when I needed it. But I think that mm. was the freeing thing is like, it doesn't matter how much you read your Bible there's still horrible things that happen in the world that you may or may not be able to do anything about. But it also is like God is real and we can continue to like seek, seek goodness in the world um, through that. And also um, I guess that doesn't quite capture it. I think for me, what it was is that I had some questions and doubts that I wasn't willing to voice and since since going through a dark night of the soul, I'm not afraid to ask any question because nothing is off limits. Like nothing could be more terrible than that experience. And so um, to be able to say like, maybe God doesn't exist. Like that might scare some of the Christians that I was around. <laughs> and so I just didn't ask it's all it's all up for grabs at this point. Yeah. And so I don't shy away from anything. What was the response to to people around you in your community as you as you began um not only acknowledging this with yourself but maybe even with them as you began saying this is this is something this is not working for me anymore. 
What was the response there? Um, the sense that I got, I mean, the response was that people were very uncomfortable um, and they wanted there to be answers. And I, um, a resource that I recommend um, that's been useful for me is a book called Healing Through the Dark Emotions by Miriam Greenspan. And she's a psychotherapist. Um, but she talks about um, you really need to have a trusted other whether that's a friend or family member, pastor, counselor, whoever, mentor, who is willing to hear your questions and not offer answers. Mm. And that is something that I um, wasn't really aware of at the time um, to even know to ask for. I was looking for answers and people were willing to offer them. So again, came back to like, read your Bible, pray, um, go to counseling, like, these are not bad things, but they weren't helpful either. Yeah. Yeah. It's a problem without a solution, except just to like live into it and kind of see, see what emerges. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you, what do you and your experience and some of your research, I want to, I want to dig into some of that. Um, what is it that keeps some people when confronted with the same experience that you were confronted with in 2008? What is it that keeps some people from going into that, walking, walking into that dark night? Um, because there are some when confronted with that who will just keep doubling down mm-hmm. on the very things really that, that led them there. Well, I think it's fear. Um, and I don't think that I was particularly like brave or unafraid. It just felt like it happened to me. Like I didn't, it was gradual. And then I found myself there and it just, like, I, no, I don't feel like I ever consented to it, which I struggle with a lot, um, because a lot of the writing about it is that, like, we, in some ways, we choose the darkness, and in some ways, the darkness chooses us. Um, and I've had kind of mixed experiences with that. But um, a theologian who's local in Seattle, I mean, like, she speaks nationally, but she also, like, lives here. Uh, which is great for us. But uh, Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil. Oh, yeah. She, oh, see, she's famous. Um, (laughs) So she does racial reconciliation. Um, And I heard her many years give this example of um, when they were trying to break the sound barrier. Um, So they're like flying these planes like really fast. I don't really know how it works. They're flying these planes. And at least at the time and how they were going about it and just like the physics of it, I think this is a physics thing, um, is that like the plane would start to shake on the approach before they could even break the sound barrier, like on the approach to just flying that fast, like the plane would shake so hard that the pilot would just slow down because they were like, I'm not going to make it through this. Like the plane is going to fall apart before I can like reach my goal, um, like physically fall apart. Um, and so they would just like pull up short over and over again. And so she, uh, Dr. Brenda talks about this in terms of racial reconciliation of like, it's so uncomfortable. We get into these like deep, painful places in our personal and uh, political histories. And we can't, we can't bear it. It's so difficult. And I would apply that also to this darkness too. It's like, I'm 
can tell that I'm about to be faced with something um, in this very scary spiritual realm. It's things that are not concrete that we can't see or touch, um, but we can certainly feel them and feel their impact on us. And so I think that it gets to that point where like, like this could kill me. And so I turn away. Mm. Um, I think, you know, darkness has been, well, and then the end of the story with breaking the sound barriers, once they were able to get through, it's like so incredibly smooth on the other side, like they break through the barrier and then they're just sailing, right? Um, Interesting. So you think, like, so the approach is what makes you turn away. And there isn't an imagination or an understanding of what it could be like on the other side. And that for me is like, I would never trade any of these experiences um, for anything. It's how I understand the world. It has shaped me like in my worldview and my faith and how I engage with other people relationally and how I engage with myself, with God. Um, so it's profoundly meaningful, but I would never blame anyone for turning away. Yeah. Um, if they even have the choice. And again, like I didn't, I feel like it was just like thrust upon me. Um, and yeah, I guess there's been other, other seasons where, um, where it is like, I can feel like I could, I could dabble in this. Like I could go down this road and see where it leads me, or maybe I won't. And there's mm -hmm. certainly been things that I've turned away from also. So you started off mentioning, um, Dark Knight of the Soul, St. John of the Cross. And mm -hmm. then you mentioned, too, the feminine side of that. I'd love to hear you share about that um, from your research, your experience, and, and what you've gone through. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that I struggle with, um, just in uh, certain strands of spirituality in general, um, both Christian and non-Christian, um, is the idea that we pursue kind of like an inner peace or we want to kind of get right with God in some way. And that the function of that is then, um, and I may not be reading this correctly or I may just be reading my own bias into it. So other people might have a different understanding of John on the cross, but my, the way I read him, it's like, he's saying that um, he like you go through this experience, you come to a, a deeply grounded sense of who you are and who God is. And then, and you never lose that. And that now like you're this transformed spiritual being. And my sense is that then, and he was a monk, right? So that might also, he's a monk during the inquisition. So he lived in a very chaotic world, um, but also in kind of, um, in periods of isolation also. And part of his dark night experience coincided with actually being like a prisoner who was isolated, um, not by choice. And so there's certainly complexity to his story, but there's these really important layers that we have to pay attention to of what was going on in his world. Um, but what I get frustrated by is what I see as a desire to be like, the world is very violent, but I'm okay. So I'm just going to mm. be here and be okay. What the feminine dark night, um, Beverly Lanzetta is a woman who writes a bit about this. Clarissa Pinkola Estes writes about this. Um, 
Constance Fitzgerald is another person that writes about this, um, that they, um, they would say, and I would say, it's an experience that grounds us in who we are and in who God is so that then we can go out and serve the world so that we are um, capable of and understand our own capacity to be able to move into really dangerous spaces and challenge things like patriarchal religious structures, patriarchal churches, um, heterosexist churches, um, I guess a better way to say it, homophobic churches. <laughs> um, yeah. And to be able to challenge white supremacy. Um and be able to challenge evil in the world. And, oh, I know what I was going to say earlier. The idea that, like, this spiritual darkness, I think, really needs to be separated from the idea of evil. They're very related to each other. But I think what makes people uncomfortable is the idea they equate the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would actually say that seasons of darkness are painful and scary and dangerous because it's where we're confronting evil, but not because they are evil in and of themselves. And so I like to use a metaphor for this of the sky. And as you know, I mean, and as we're heading into the solstice too, like winter comes every year and the darkness comes rhythmically and seasonally. Um, And I think this is spiritual also that we have seasons of light and seasons of dark. And I don't, think it's helpful to put value on that like they both just are (laughs) like just like in the seasons and of course like night always follows day day always follows night and so I think like it actually just makes good sense to have a theology of darkness because otherwise you would just miss out on like big chunks of your life (laughs) that exist in darkness you know um and to understand that good things can happen there too. So one thing that like a phrase that specifically was said to me during seasons of darkness were um, rather was um, just when you're in the dark, remember what was, what you knew to be true in the light. And it's like, let's say for example, like, well, I know that God is good, but now I'm in the season of darkness. Like I knew that when it was light out, And it was easy to believe, but Mm -hmm. now I'm in this darkness and I don't know that that's true. Um, But then we test it, right? Or we come to understand something different about God's character or something different about the world that we live in. And I think that's really important. And I think especially when we're talking about patriarchy and people in general, but women in particular, not being believed about our experiences in the world. Um, Mm. And that's another response that I've had from people is they don't believe that I know what it feels like to be separated from God. Um, And I can't make them believe that. And I like to use this image of the sky to say, you know, when you like, we're all about light, right? In patriarchal churches. And when you think about it, like a clear blue sky conceals so much and it would lead you to possibly believe that, you know, as I'm like standing here outside, I'm looking around that like the world ends at the horizon. But then when night comes and it always does on a clear night, like the sky is pulled back and there's this whole universe And it's like, well, when were you going to tell me about that? (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's just as real. 
um, if not more so. Um, and then you have to grapple with that, right? Like you said that the sky was blue and now not only is there no sky, there's this whole huge universe out here. And like, what are we, how are we going to make sense of that? And it feels like in a, with a theological preference for light, the answer is we're not going to deal with that. Mm. We're going to pretend that that doesn't exist. And that's like no kind of faith to me, um, to have whole categories that we're just not going to talk about. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that, um, we're, we're talking about light and, um, the, the importance of darkness with that. We forget sometimes that like 50% of the Psalms are lament. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, one Psalm ends with the lyric, darkness is my closest friend. Mm-hmm. And there's no like, but I know that like, that's how it ends. It's just darkness is my closest friend. Another one ends with, uh, may it be done to you as you've done to us. May they dash your babies against the rocks. So there's like some serious turmoil going on in there. And, and the, the other thing that as you were talking, that I was thinking about, you're talking about the light and um, how we always seem insistent on that. I, I've said somewhere, I don't recall where, um, how Easter never made sense to me. Because there was this one Sunday every year, yeah. we'd have to get up early. My mom had already started cooking before we left the house. I'd have to throw on a tie. My sisters were in pastel dresses. Um, we'd all kind of like sit together as a family instead of like me going to like junior church or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And everyone would say, he has risen. He has risen indeed. The, the weird thing is because there was no practice of Lent, because there was no practice of death, no. because there was no Good Friday, I'm like, he rose from what? <laughs> like he, I, I'm, I wasn't fully yeah. aware he had even died. And mm-hmm. so I think as I'm listening to you talk, there is that importance of um, once you get out into that universe, so to speak, like we're living in a, in a universe that's constantly expanding into infinite nothingness. Mm-hmm. And that there's nothing actually beyond the universe because it doesn't exist yet. And if it does exist, then it's the universe. Like there, so mm-hmm. there's this profound mystery that you're tapping into. And when yeah. you take away I'm half like, of that should mystery. Should we talk about that? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it makes, it begins making no sense um, yeah. once you get into that. So as you're, as you're studying this, reflecting on it in your own, uh, your own research, your own work, your own life. What are some of the things um, for our listeners that you would say, this is what I'm learning or man, this is what I'd love for you to learn, for you to think about, contemplate with regard to um, this notion of darkness? Yeah. I mean, I think in terms of becoming aware of a theological preference for light, um, I mean, this is where it gets into the realm of spiritual abuse of like, what questions are we allowed to ask? Or if you're part of a faith community, what questions are welcome and what questions aren't? And just to pay mm. attention to that and to say like, you know, like, I think God is bigger than our hatred of gay people. I really do. And I know that because I've seen this expansive dark, um, and I, and that means something for me and shifted something in my, in my orientation toward mm. people who are not like me. Um, and that's when people started to say to me, like, no, that's, it can't be true. That cannot be true. And I was like, I know it's true. <laughs> and so then we're like <laughs> at an impasse, right? Um, and so to start to pay attention to that, like for me, I knew that homosexuality was wrong. I went through this dark night experience. I was like, truly anything is possible truly. 
Um, and then I started getting pushback. And so it's like, oh, wait, like if I understand a truth that isn't being taught in church, they're always going to try to pull me back from that dark threshold. Right. And to say, like, to try to get me to align with what the like with the status quo, essentially. Um, and so that's what I mean when I talk about like the the patriarchy infused theologies that say like don't don't dabble in darkness because you might learn something that we don't approve of um and what you might learn might be that like we need to topple some of these structures um that are really harmful to the people they're supposed to be serving um so that's a a big one is pay attention to the questions um I was thinking about a book that I read um, a few years ago. It was actually assigned in a Bible class, um, though it uh, in itself doesn't have any reference to the Bible, but um, it's called Deep Survival by Lawrence Gonzalez. Uh, and he was interested in who survives catastrophic events and who doesn't, like physical, physically catastrophic events, um, like avalanches, um, being lost in the wilderness. Uh, he, I think he was inspired his grandfather was in a plane crash, uh, like behind enemy lines in world war two. Um, so he studied this. And one of the things he talks about is that five and six year olds have the, like one of the highest survival rates of being lost in the woods or being lost in the wilderness. Um, and the reason is because like the little guys, like younger than that, you just like physically can't withstand the elements. And older than that, when we turn seven or eight, we start to create mental maps and our mental maps are inadequate and inaccurate. And so when you're hiking and you get lost, you're like, oh, I'm sure that where I need to be is just over that ridge. And so you just like go and go and go. And you're like, well, I'm just going to go a little bit further. I'm just going to go for one more hour. And we exhaust ourselves and get more lost. But five and six-year-olds don't create mental maps. And so they just stop where they are. And if they're hungry, they eat something. If they're tired, they sleep. Um, and then they survive. And so um, I think that has something to tell us about, like, if you're in the midst of darkness or that you can start to recognize that someone close to you is, I would say, like, if I had any advice to give, which I don't necessarily <laughs> but if I did it'd be but if like, I'm asking yeah like be kind to yourself in that space mm. listen to your body ask her what she wants um if you're hungry eat if you're tired sleep if the idea of going to church just makes you feel so anxious or sick or it just isn't interesting then you don't have to go um you don't have to answer to anyone else for your own spiritual journey um, yeah, I would say like be a six-year-old in the forest <laughs> if that, yeah. if that's where you are. Um, and it's so, it's so scary to face, to be faced with the things that, um, like I was always told that God was good and I just can't say that that's true or whatever it is, whatever the question is to say like, that's a really scary place to be. If you can engage it, I think that there are really beautiful things to find out on the other side. And if mm. you can't, then that's like, there's no judgment for that either. And, and so, so now you had your experience in 2008 that you mentioned, and you mentioned a couple of other seasons, mm -hmm. um, which even from some of what you said about the way 
our world works with night and day. That's to be expected. Um, what would you say now in your own in your own life in your own heart? What's being born in you um, through these experiences? What do you have now um, that you didn't have in two thousand seven? Hmm. Yeah, I I had been like very sure of a lot of things. Um, but to get back to your question about like the intellectual exercise of like, well, I've read the gospel and it did or didn't resonate. So now I do or don't believe in God. Like I had been told a lot of things and I accepted them as true. And after that experience, particularly the 2008 experience, um, I couldn't say that any of that was true. And I had a very clear sense in myself uh, that I still have that the only thing that I know is true is that I was created on purpose and for a purpose. I don't like often know what that purpose is, um, but I feel very sure that there is one or a few maybe. Um, And it wasn't like God spoke. I didn't like hear a voice on a particular day. It just was like kind of by the end of that year or so um, when I was starting to feel more myself again, I was pretty cautious with God of like, I don't know what that was about. I don't know if we're going to be okay. Um, But I just knew like I had that felt sense. Uh, I would still say that's probably one of the only things I know for sure. Mm. Um, And I've kind of built up theologies, but I get to choose what I believe. And I think that was never clear to me before that. It was, there was a sense of like, well, this is what we believe. This is what Christians believe. This is what we believe um, in our church family, in our denomination. Um, So I, I didn't have a sense of agency or ownership over that. And now I get to say like, I choose to believe that people are good. I choose to believe that God is with us. Um, but it's not because someone's saying like, if you want to be part of this group, this is kind of our list of things that we mm. have decided before you got here, <laughs> before yeah. you were around to contribute. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of what we decided. So you can sign on or not. Um, and that's usually when I'm like, okay, I won't. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's now what grounds me in the work that I do for advocating for, um, for social change. Mm. Is that groundedness? There's a, uh, there's a quote from a fellow named Alexander Shia that talks about this idea of the darkness isn't, isn't where, what does he say? The darkness is not the place where grace goes to die. Uh, the deep dark is the place where grace goes to be reborn. Mm. Uh, and I love that idea of what, just in listening to you and experiencing you, there's a sense in which it's not like you, you had this faith given to you and you just threw it all out and said, I'm absolutely 100% done. But somehow you were called into this place. Um, you, you talked about not necessarily knowing if you had a choice. Mm-hmm. And it was in that place that something new was was born, uh, which mm-hmm. involved some sort of death. Um, For sure. What's that? For sure. Yeah. And yeah. as Jesus says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground, it remains only a single seed. So this mm-hmm. idea of dark and death and all the things that you pointed out that we fear is evil are actually the things that Jesus keeps inviting us into. Like, pick up your cross, come with me into this death mm-hmm. um, so that something new can be born. And that, uh, yeah, that, that story yeah, resonates really deeply with me. And I imagine it will resonate deeply with a lot of, uh, of those who are listening. So um, 
Tell us a little bit, where, where can people find you online? You, you mentioned, we mentioned right at the beginning, uh, the God Help Us podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so God Help Us is kind of my most prolific project at this point. Um, I am going to drop back from, it's been every other week and it'll be monthly uh, starting in December. Um, just as I'm figuring out some life transitions and spaciousness, but, um, that comes out the second Tuesday of the month and it's just out wherever you get your podcasts and you can also find it through animasaros.com, um, which is a good place to contact me or find me. Um, and then, yeah, I guess on social media, I'm on Instagram at God help pod, um, and also on Facebook at God help pod. So those are good Perfect. places to find and me. We will provide that. links to both of those. Uh, on the episode description for this podcast. So, Andy, thank you um, for being with us today. And thank you, too, to just for sharing a little bit of your story with us uh, and for those who are listening. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, it's been a pleasure for me as well. And thank all of you once again for joining with us for another episode of the Changing Faith podcast. My hope is that as we settle into this season, as we approach the shortest day of the year, that you would find yourself befriending the darkness, that you would allow it to be for you a teacher, even as light has been your teacher, knowing that it's precisely in those dark places and in those dark moments that something new is born. And that is it for today's episode. And it's actually the last episode of the Change Your Faith podcast for 2019, actually the last uh, podcast for the decade. We will be back uh, in early 2020. And so until then, may you have a blessed Christmas and a happy new year. Once again, thank you for joining with us today. And until next year, as always, much love and peace be with you.